Hey gang, how's it going? This uh, episode of Transplants is an interview with author and stand-up comedian Sam Talent. This guy, look up to him. He's an absolute legend. I didn't cut a lot out because I felt like we were just vibing so much. It's definitely the best interview that I've done to date. Sorry, Sammy. Sorry, Salma. Um, definitely give it a listen and make sure you go buy his book at samtalent.com. Also, make sure you subscribe, post about the podcast if you're enjoying it. If you know some people that think would really appreciate it, send it to them. Um, thanks for the support and enjoy. Thank you, Dayton Flyers. <laughs> nice, man. My dad's system is fucking rock solid three days in a row. Woohoo! I thank the old man. <laughs> that rules. Some very obscure college basketball <laughs> game. Yesterday I had Syracuse, Virginia, the over, and it hit in like with like 10 minutes left. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> Dude, it must be nice to be like, Dad, like, I love you so much. Yeah, yeah. Does it, does it, is it make it easier for you to say I love you, Dad? I say I love you, Dad, every time he answers the phone, every time I hang up the phone. It's good, man. My family says I love you all the time. Like, I have my friend Kyle Scobie came over in high school, and he was, like, taken aback uh, at how much. Because, like, my mom would be like, oh, you guys going to go to Sonic? Like, you know, get me, like, an orange slush. Like, all right, I love you. I love you, too. You know, my sister being like, hey, can I get a ride to the movie theater? Of course. All right, I'll pick you up at 3.30. All right, I love you. I love you, too. It's just every every conversation we have. Like, it has, like, no meaning at this point, you know? (laughs) It totally cheapens the entire thing. Or at the same time. I mean, like, that's just, that's a tight family bond. Cheapens it, I guess, but. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean it still. Yeah, you mean it. You know? That's what makes it best. What about you? Are you able to do that? All the time. Good, see? Yeah, my dad will sometimes. What if I would have said no? Would you have been like, yeah, I can't talk to my old man that way? No, no. You wouldn't have flip-flopped? No, my dad is like, so here's the problem. is like my dad will be like, Alec, you don't know how much I love you. Yeah. Like, if someone touched you, like, and then he'll go into like the violent things he would do. The fantasies? Yeah, like the fantasies. Like played out in his head I'd over get the and axe over. handle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he'd say things, and I'm like, okay, well, that's nice. Yeah, thank you, dad. Like, thank you, love you. Yeah. <laughs> love you, papa. <laughs> I used to kiss my dad on the cheek until I was like 17. Really? The cheek? Yeah. You got off easy. I was on the lips. You were a lips <laughs> was, We were a lips What are you, Irish Italian? Irish Italian. Yeah, of yeah. course. You're smooching. More smooching. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry to derail your whatever no, intro you I had like, planned. I like having a fun little <laughs> intro. Yeah. Well, it's like, I'll, yeah, whatever. Sam Talent, stand-up savant, prolific author, good kid, local kid. Sam, my first question, have you finished the ham? My first question is prolific. I put out one book. Let's let's not go crazy, bud. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate you being sweet, but wicked average author. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> That's better. The ham is good, man. The ham uh, is supposed to be in like a climate controlled environment, like a humidor, but it's just been rocking over there by the garage door for since December twenty fourth. Sam has a hawk of Serrano ham I do, uh, right yeah. now covered in a dingy uh yeah, kitchen towel. Yeah, that's an oil towel I used after I cleaned my uh <laughs> my garage. Yeah, man, I don't know. I've been trying to eat it. I feed it to Gordy a lot. I have like honestly, it gets so sharp because it's like petrified wood when you cut into it that I have like cuts on my fingers from jagged ham shards. You didn't have, like, an older, like, maybe, like, a Spanish gentleman show you, like, just how clean you're supposed to cut it? I watched so many videos on how thin to slice that ham, and it's really hard, dude. (laughs) It's really hard to get it, like, see-through paper window pane, you know? On New Year's Eve, me and my sister and my brother-in-law and David Borey sat at this table practicing cutting that ham for like three and a half hours to the point where my my, my wife was like are we going to party or are we gonna yeah. cut ham all night <laughs> i'm not having fun anymore <laughs> yeah it's 11 30 you guys have just been fucking whistling to the ham all evening did it ever get testing was it just like you're going in the wrong angle <laughs> it was because we all watched the same videos and we all have the exact same level of expertise but everyone had their own ideas about it and now i'm just cutting off chunks and like throwing it in beans and stuff it couldn't be less graceful now you're not you're, you're not known for your grace anyway. You're I'm not. Up. Yeah, I'm a I'm a blunt tool. <laughs> I'm an object waiting to be used. He's he's a rock and jock guy. Yeah, man. <laughs> Sam, this podcast focuses on making the journey, relocating as a young buck into a new city or an experience. Okay. Tell me about your pilgrimage to upstate New York. Okay, so in 2005, I graduated from high school. Uh, May 2005, I moved to Denver, Colorado. Almost immediately, uh, probably like by July, I was out of Elizabeth. Uh, went to school at Metro State College of Denver, now Metro State University. Took improv classes at the Bovine Metropolis, 
went through all five levels. By level three, I was on their house team, performing every weekend there. Tried stand-up in, I think, 2006 or seven, and then was disillusioned with college. And my best friend, Clay Dahan, was going to Ithaca College, and we played music together. So I followed, I went up there for like, I think New Year's Eve 2007, because I couldn't drink yet. Yeah, New Year's Eve 2007, I went up there. I flew into New York City for the first time ever, and we went to Times Square, and I had, like, my backpack on and my Carhartt, like, fresh from the airplane, you know? It was insane. I'd never been to New York before, and I saw it during Times Square. You were just completely overwhelmed? I mean, I'd been, you know, my mom and dad took me to, like, Montreal. We'd been to Boston and L.A. and stuff like that, but New York's bigger than anything you can imagine. I hadn't been to Chicago at this point, I don't think, Right. you know? So it was crazy, and then I went up to Ithaca with him and just saw how he was living, and I was like, well, this is pretty cool, man. Like, there was a girl named Sammy who had a snake. She would wear it underneath her hat, and I was like, well, I'm, of course, in love with her. <laughs> and then I was also in love with this girl named Lawrence who was from Rochester and, like, knew all these cool, like, dice drinking games. So I was like, Clay, we can play music. Like, this rules. I hate school. So I went back and did one more semester, and then that summer I moved up to Ithaca for, like, on and off 18 months, two years. Damn, dude. Like, I'd live there until I didn't have any money. Because I didn't want to get a job. Like, me and Clay were both, like, hardcore anti-capitalists, like, anarchist kids. And we lived in this anarchist commune. And when I turned 18, I got nine grand from my grandpa from old stock options. What was he invested in? So my grandpa worked for Mountain Bell, which became U.S. West. Uh-huh. And he gave all five of his grandkids, like, whatever shares of stock he had when he retired. Which was worth nine grand. My mom and dad, of course, were like, you're going to use this to play for college. And I was like, it's my money. Like, I was real dick about it. I was like, I'm 18 now. This is my money. So I blew that completely on eighths of weed. Like, I never had the fucking foresight to buy an ounce of weed. (laughs) I would buy eights, like, every day. And just piss that all away. And then I pissed it away living in Ithaca. And, like, I mean, it was great. I don't regret it, but... So there was never really a plan. You kind of just saw, you saw different opportunities as they arose and were like, I'm going to just see this out because it looks cool as hell. Yeah. I never, I can't say I ever had any kind of plan besides like what my main plan was to be in the band with Clay, uh, Red versus Black, which was a two piece hardcore noise band. And we would practice, Clay would go to school and I would just like lurk around Ithaca, scrape resin and, you know, steal from Wegmans. And then he'd get off school and we would just practice in the abattoir, this old slaughterhouse they had in the back. And we could practice all night because we lived in the country, we, like lived outside of Ithaca. And we got very good and we wrote 15 songs in three weeks. And like, I was very proud wow. of like what we were doing. Holy shit. Because Clay learned how to play bass along to me playing drums. Like I played drums my entire life. So it was, it was a journey. Like you had someone with you just doing it. Like right. that's what made it, I think, probably made it like way more fun. It like, was a friendship. It was, yeah, it was, it was totally a, a love story between two young men. Clay was my best friend from third grade until i mean i still value him and i think of him as one of my very best friends he was in a he was in my wedding party but also now just like we've you know you're we, old yeah you're old yeah you, 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 that kind of shit you happens. Get old, yeah the people you think you're going to be buried next to you won't you know remember their birthdays oh, i'm not getting buried oh no, no. what's the plan hot Vi- air balloon viking funeral okay well good luck getting the permits <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was just me being like, Clay, you're the only like real constant in my life. And I, you know, I, we slept in a closet together for two months when we moved into Goblin House, that commune. So can you describe the house for me? Yeah, it was called Goblin House and it was run by this guy named Bob Wolf Young too. And a bunch of just like, I mean, when you say you lived with a bunch of anarchists and, you know, anti-status and stuff, people think you're living with people with like in overalls and wearing, having cool mustaches, you know, but it was pretty much a fucking way station flop house for anyone who needed a place to crash for a couple of months. So I was a permanent resident there, but you know, it was just, I don't remember, I remember a lady named Mary who had a very red, ruddy moon face lived there and she like cooked dinner every night. And then there was a girl who was a massage therapist who I like tried to hook up with all the time and would blow it. And she'd be like, we both live here. This is a bad call. And I'd be like, you know, well, hold on. <laughs> let me, let me, you can see it from my point of view. And, uh, and then Clay also, like his friends went to Ithaca College. And also we fell in with these kids from Cornell. Because the Cornell kids were political and the Ithaca College kids could party. Right. So you being an anti-capitalist, you were like, I, yeah. I, I, can, I, can, vibe, I can vibe with these cats. Right. And like they were smart, you know. Right. Like, uh, 
Like this guy Will and this Killy and Billy, they were really smart and they were in the same music as me. And like, yeah, it was just like I'd never smoked weed with an Asian kid before I went to Ithaca. And then all of a sudden you're in uh, their idea of a frat house with a bunch of lacrosse kids like drinking off their tab. So Clay's friends were really like they were all like rich kids. And Clay's grandma put him through college, but he wasn't from money. His parents ran a puppy mill, you know. Um so it was just like all of our time was either playing in the band, playing shows, being on the road, or trying to live off the golden teat of these kids yeah. who had money from the Northeast, you know? It's like, okay, you guys go buy 22 bombers a magic hat and bring them back. Yeah. And like, I'll roll the joints all night and like, be funny, <laughs> you know? And I was always very good at like, they liked me and I was very good at ingratiating myself into every circle. Did they ever come to one of the Red versus Black shows? Yeah, they would come. Uh... The Cornell kids, our first show was at the Cornell Lacrosse House. No which way. Which was insane because there was no reason they should let us play, but they liked me. And we played and all these like, you know, we did enough Misfits covers that they could sing along. And then we did this like very challenging, almost math rock shit. <laughs> and they were like, all right, you know, uh, you know any fucking ELO? <laughs> you know, like calling out requests after the third song is never a good sign. No. Nah. But, uh. You yeah, just, yeah. You just play Eagles Dare. Or... Exactly. We did play Eagles Dare. Man. We played Eagles Dare. We played Skulls. We played Hybrid Moments, which is like the best song ever. Hybrid Moments gets everyone hard for a minute and a half. I mean, you guys must have been pretty good though as a two set to just kind of hold like an entire basement. I'm assuming of like just yeah. rowdy, like you know, way too testosterone up lacrosse kids. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was the only time we ever played the lacrosse house. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't welcome us back, but like. Clay, Were they just like, ah, you know what, man? We got a game that weekend. No, we never asked. (laughs) We could read the room. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, we would go and play at Wesleyan, or we'd go to Oberlin, or we'd go to like... Did you ever go to uh, Williams? Where's Williams? Uh, Williamstown, Mass. No, I don't think so. Okay. Because I was down there one time... yeah, my buddies like used to go there. Yeah, football kids like it's like the number one like liberal arts school in the country. Okay, and like I was like just starting comedy, mm-hmm. and they were like, you know, we're doing like a comedy show down here before the band. Do you want to get up? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, dude, I'd love to. Of course, I uh, went up there and just ate it in front of like three Asian <laughs> girls that were listening, and yeah. then some girl in the back just goes, "You fucking suck," and I'm Brutal. like. All right, here's the band. It's been my time. Yeah, and then I watched... Everyone, <laughs> wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we played, We played like, uh, schools around Boston. I can't remember which ones. Um, but, yeah, you know, we just played the Northeast, and then we would tour back to Denver and play a bunch of places in between and be very political, even though we didn't know anything. And <laughs> it, it was just a fun time. You can be whoever you want during that time, you know? Especially if you're Clay's weird friend from out of town who doesn't go here. Yeah. Like, I didn't go to either of these places. Visiting the college, like, that was my go-to. Yeah. When you go visit the different school or, like, yeah. Because yeah, it's just, you get at least, like, three strikes before, like, mm-hmm. you get uh, fucked up. Yeah, and I never had that. I never was confronted with violence or anything. And also, I'd never been to the Northeast. And I uh, went to Ithaca, and I was, you know, between Ithaca and Cornell, and it's, like, all these kids from, you know, upper uh, level as far as money and, like, good education. Like, very inspiring youth that were my inspiring age. Inspiring youth. And then also just, like, trash from Trumansburg. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, fucking, you know, some they're from some shithole in New Hampshire, and their dad won the lottery, so now they're at Cornell. Yeah. Like, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. shit. So it was just, like, I'm enamored with the Northeast. I love America, but, like, the Northeast and the South totally that's ruled. your go-to yeah. yeah because it's so old there it is you don't you don't know because you're from there but like well, we're yeah everything here is from like 1870 so you go back there and there's cobblestone streets and it's like of course it's a shooting gallery but you're still near the water right, right. you know <laughs> i mean you live in denver now so you understand what i'm saying yeah but like just i i didn't understand that just that feeling of history in the northeast and how much that would get me what did that teach you while you were there Anything about anything you take with you like right now, like just yeah. So like touring as a band, I still that's how I toured as a comic first. It was sending emails and networking with other bands and stuff. Like you know, we ran shows at the abattoir, so bands would come through. Yep. Hey, nice to meet you, Fisher Cat from New Orleans. Like, hey, okay, we're gonna go to New Orleans and play your place. You know, so like promoting, making my own merch, um, running my own touring business. Like I learned all of that from touring in red versus black that is unreal was there any particularly unbelievable show that you did uh there was a show we played i think it was at RISD, rhode island school of design no way in providence which providence was huge for me because like 
that's where Lightning Bolt was from. That's where John Dwyer, like Pink and Brown, all those bands that like all the noise bands we were emulating. Mm-hmm. And I, it was in the basement and of the cafeteria, and we were playing with a band called Kentucky Fried Doom. So we played first, and of course everyone was very confused. No one was ever like these guys rock. It was always like respect and how earnest and how hard we were trying. But it was also like good God. Because, like, Clay was wearing, like, basketball shorts, and I'd be in a denim long sleeve. Like, we didn't look like any kind of you were young it, artist. You were in it for shock and awe. No, no, we were, like, we were very good. Yeah. Like, we weren't uh, doing anything to try and be confrontational besides the music. But, like, we also weren't wearing, like, we never had, like, when we play, like, uh, you know, the fucking YMCA in uh, New Jersey, we didn't have spikes and leather jackets for the kids who were way into okay. crass and into, like, you know... Uh, like circle jerks and shit. Like we were never skate punk enough for the kids in Phoenix to feel like we were cool. And then when we play these intellectual rooms, we still like Clay's like you know an old basketball jock, and I'm an old football jock. So we still looked like the kids who beat them up. You know, we looked like the enemy everywhere we went. <laughs> but we played this show and people liked it and it was fun. And then afterward, Kentucky Fried Doom went up, and they were all dressed in robes and they played this very heavy sun o, very slow Doom music. And then also they had a deep fryer, and they would put touch mics into different vegetables and fry them, and then run that frying noise through a distortion pedal. And then they would serve everyone the food they fried after the show. So that was one that always stuck out for me. That is hardcore. Yeah. There was another time in Connecticut we played, and this girl was like, you guys are good. Do you want to smoke a bone? And I was like, I never heard that before. And I was like, whatever that means, yes. Right. So we went upstairs, and we smoked weed, and then... We engaged in the act of male uh, on female coitus, and her thing was putting her nose in my mouth. She's like, "You gotta suck on my nose the entire time, or I can't do this." And I was like, "I don't, I don't care. I'll suck on the fucking tailpipe. I stink. Like I literally stink. I've been eating out of dumpsters. You should have made me shower. Like I'll do. Put whatever you want in my mouth, ma'am." And that was that was like the only time I think I ever pulled tail. Besides, like in Minneapolis, they would they would throw it at us. We always did well in Minneapolis. <laughs> I think they saw some kindred souls. I do too because I could talk football. Yeah, you know what I right. mean. It was just it was fun, man. It was a very free time. Dude, so you're from Elizabeth, Colorado. You already mentioned that. Yeah. Despite like you know first moving to Denver, like you know Elizabeth, small town. For sure, yeah, did less you, than a thousand. Did, did you feel out of place like almost immediately, or were you kind of like, you know, were you able to find community pretty easily in Denver? Yeah, <clears throat> I did everything in high school. You know, I was like, I think I'm still the only all-state football player who was also a thespian in the history of probably Colorado. Uh, so, like, I was student council. Like, Christian I did, McCaffrey. You so, should, did he go to school here? He did, right? I think he did, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know anything about them. I do know where Ed McCaffrey's house was, though. He's a pretty good Macbeth. Yeah, really? No, I don't okay. know. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I would love to know that I'd about Christian that. McCaffrey. <laughs> what a fucking animal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, what the fuck? So, no, like, I was able to fit in in places. Also, I moved to Denver with three of my best friends. Uh, they were all skateboarders and scumbags. Because, again, I, like, I was, like, a jock who also liked to smoke weed. You, yeah, exactly. Like, you've already you're – you're a chameleon. But you understand – I think that – what I love about you is yeah. you're, like, I don't care who I'm with as long as the fun is there. Yeah. And you can see that pretty clearly. It's right. not about, like, you know, who's with who. No. And that's why I kind of, like – that's why, I, you know, you're a fucking legend. Thanks, man. I wish I had more social climber in me because my yeah. career would be better. You know what I mean? Like, I see people who are at comedy festivals who are very good at doing the the fucking bits. Yeah. Like, when I was at JFL, there was this guy named Brad who was one of the new faces, and he kept doing this bit where he's like, you want to wrestle? You want to wrestle? He was like, your size, you know? And I remember we were at an industry party, and he came up to me, and I was talking to, like, Bobby Lee and uh, that Santino guy with the red hair. Santino, yeah. Yeah, and he came up to me, and he's like, hey, Sam, you want to wrestle? And I was like, Brad, I will fuck you up. (laughs) Like, sincerely, you know? Like, yeah. this is not your end of this conversation. No, <laughs> this is not. Yet. And he was like, all right, man. And, like, fucking, you know, I didn't talk to him anymore after that. But, uh, so I've never been good at, like, you know, playing the game that way. But, yeah, I mean, I just, like, if people are, like, funny, I, I don't care. Right. You know, like, I'm being facetious, of course, but, like, you could have been a family annihilator. You could have, like, you know, drowned your daughters. But if you're funny, like, but we can have a, good a beer. Time. Yeah. Well, I always come back to this where it's, like, I like talk, think about this all the time because like guy friend groups. This might just only be particular like just dudes. Yeah. Maybe I don't really know like a ton of girls who are like this. Please don't cancel me. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought there's a camera on. I keep yeah, it is on. Not looking at it. I'm sorry. 
Um, but guy friend groups, I notice we do not like we will keep anyone in our group, like as long as they say like three funny things while we hang yeah, out. Yeah, and like, I think that's the big issue that it's a lot a, of people it's have. An issue. Because you'll be like, it'll be a guy in the crew who like you know yeah. fingered someone when they were asleep. Yeah, we're like, yeah, he's on parole, but have you heard his Borat voice? It's right. Fucking. And then I think you eventually like have to cut them out begrudgingly, but you still follow them on Instagram, yeah. you know, because they got wacky stuff they put <laughs> on their story. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, dude. There's a lot of like. <clears throat> they posted they got their CDL license, and you're like, keep it up, man. Yeah, exactly. Good job. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm managing the Radio Shack. Yeah. <laughs> if you're ever in Des Moines, hit me up. Hell yeah, bro. Um, CB radio. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, dude, I totally agree. Um, I think that if some, I, I literally just value if someone's funny or interesting. And if you don't give people a chance to be funny or interesting, then how do you know? Well, like when you host an open mic, it's very easy to be the guy who... Everybody comes up to. Well, that, but also the guy doesn't give a shit. Like Nathan Lund rules, but Lund hated... And like Bobby Crane quit stand-up partly because... He hated having to pretend like he gave a shit about Roger Stafford and Grayson Knight. And meanwhile, like, they started at my mic. Like, they were funny. They showed promise. Like, Roger Stafford, let's fucking hang out, you know? Right. Like, I know you're 19, but, like, sure, you can come over to my birthday party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're having a thing. Like, come over, feel inclusive. So, if, like, if you're, like, Lund, where it's, like, you don't want to have a conversation with anyone because you're so, like... Just, you know, like, oh, God, it's daunting yeah. to give a shit and remember people's names. Like, I think I've always been very good. I also, like, give a shit if people feel included. Like, I hate that thing about, like, being mean to people just to feel better about yourself. Not that I'm a saint. Like, I'm definitely a dickhead to people in the group chat. Mm, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, that's a group chat. I yeah. Mean, everything stings harder when it's through text, and I kind of like it that way a little bit more. Yeah, I don't and, like that it's, like, saved forever. No. Well, yeah, you're gonna, yeah, it's true. There's well, group chats I'm in that, like, people are, we're going to have to delete them all at once, like people turning nuclear keys. Oh. Because <laughs> if these screenshots ever surface, it's like, it's I'm going to be getting my CDL. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, you mentioned, dude, you play football, so I think that also comes from being in, like, the locker room setting, where there's always that one guy that gets ragged on all the time i mean like, yeah. i grew up playing hockey there's always that one guy that does get ragged on but you know when it's kind of like too much yeah when you kind of made it cross the line it's like hey you know murph we're just messing with you dude come on let's sit sit with me on the bus we're gonna fucking grab a couple beers after this win like, right. kind of like that feeling or it's also like hey you don't get to make fun of byron graham i get to make fun of byron <laughs> graham because he's my friend right you know but like you're gonna be some new guy because that's the thing about stand-up is there's so much assumed familiarity where people come on the scene and they think we're doing the same thing because they've done four open mics. So you're like, I'm a comic now. I can hang out at the fucking, you know, big kids table at Comedy Works. Like when people on Tuesdays are in the chairs in the back, in the green room, it's like when I started stand-up, you were not allowed in that green room unless you like were well-received as funny. Right, you know? right. And like I still have a bit of that shit in me where it's like, well, it's what a are you doing it? It is a hierarchy, man. I, dude, I don't feel comfortable in there. Yeah. Um, not just me personally. Well, that's because you probably come from sports where you're like, it, you know. Exactly. Well, you didn't go hang out. You didn't sit with the seniors. Right, exactly. You know, yeah. you, it's just not what happened. Like, what are you going to talk about? Like, hey, fucking, how's the bench feel? Get out of here. Right, yeah. And, like, I mean, I think that's, like, it's fine. But I like being inclusive uh, to people because stand-up is so hard. That if you do go up at Lion's Lair at 1.30 and you, like, get a couple laughs, like, I would go out of my way to be like, hey, Aaron Uris, like, you're funny, man. Like, you should, or like, Steve AJ. I remember seeing Steve AJ and being like, dude, you're going to be so good. And, like, he'll tell that story all the time whenever we hang out with people. Yeah. He'll be like, man, I, that changed my life. And it's like, well, hopefully you would have got that from someone else. Yeah. Because you know? I didn't get that in Denver. That never happened. But you, People weren't nice to us when we started. Yeah, you kind of told that. I, I remember you telling that story. So when you first went up uh, and won, were you with, no, you were the finalist in the New Faces, right? Like, yeah, like the you, fifth you, time you, I ever did stand-up was the finals of New Faces. That's absolutely wild. But I also did improv like all the time. So I wasn't like a stranger to the stage. Well, yeah, but still. It is insane. That's still insane. And I bombed. <laughs> I totally bombed. Greg Baumauer came in. He drew number one out of the hat. When you're at New Faces, you draw numbers randomly. And I was standing next to him, and I saw him, and Deacon asked him, what number did you get? And Greg said, seven. And he put number one back in there, and then I drew, and I got number one, and I went up first and ate my ass. And then Greg went up in the sweet spot, which is always seven, eight, or nine, right before check drop, and he fucking killed, and he won, you know. But yeah, like, I had no business being there. 
at all. It's still unbelievable. All right, by the way, um, do you consent to being filmed? Yes, of course, yeah. Okay, good. Wait, how many times have you asked that and someone said no? <laughs> that was like an old that was an old steel hand on the controls right there. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> you were t- talking to me about this outside. How many weekends uh, are you on the road? As many as possible. I mean, probably 40 at least, you know, because that's how I made all my money was the road. Right. What is the thing that you miss the most when you're on the road? I miss swimming. A lot. Um, I miss being in places in December where you can swim in the ocean or in a river. I miss, uh, you know, I miss Donnie Townsend. I miss Mike Cronin, Ran Barnaclo. Uh, I miss the people that would open for me. You know, I miss those people you get to spend three days with once a year, maybe twice a year. Um, and just how funny it is. You know, I miss being in the kitchen at Go Bananas uh, putting whip topping down someone's pants, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like I miss that. I miss being in the green room and just trying not to think about your set as long as possible with other comics. I miss, I just miss the fraternal atmosphere of stand-up comedy. I think besides the, the obvious aspect of like you're getting paid for it, it's kind of that same dynamic that you were doing up in Ithaca yeah. where it is like, I'm a, I'm with like the lacrosse kids. I'm hanging out also with the kids from Ithaca college but you're doing that every weekend with just a new group of guys, or yeah, a new group of people, you know. For sure, and that, that must be like just an absolute thrill. Yeah, like I miss running into fucking Rena Calm on the road, or you know, fucking. I miss traveling the most. I think is the actual answer. Do you? Uh, what do you wear on the plane? Do you ever wear shorts on the plane? Oh, all the time. Yeah, I rarely wear pants. Really? Yeah. Someone's gonna look at your thighs, though, dude. Oh, because I really, I wear really, really short shorts. I know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll wear, you know, I have the pair of Monarchs I always rip around in, and then shorts. <laughs> Dude, it's a wild move. I see some people at the airport. You ever see the people that bring their own pillow? Yeah, of course. I bring my own pillow. No, you don't. I bring a neck pillow. Oh. I mean, I mean, what are you talking about? Why? Because you're you're trying to create an atmosphere of comfort and, uh, like... You know, uh, you're you're giving off discomfort <clears throat> to everyone in your vicinity, though. Yeah, but why would I give a shit? Like, I'm not doing anything. I'm no, I, I, you know, I don't stink. You know, back in the day, because <clears throat> I fly like I would fly every weekend now. But back when I was driving, the rare, the few times I would fly, I would like. I remember one time I was in, I think Tuscaloosa, and they lit a couch on fire the night before I left. And I always take the earliest flight because it's the cheapest one. Right, right, right. So I would get like fucking wasted, and then go to the airport. You know, <laughs> yeah. and I'd be at the airport smelling like a couch fire. <laughs> So, like, I think that I, like, do take into account how people feel a lot more now than I used to. Right, right, right. So I didn't know that campfire smelled bad the next day. Oh, campfire smells awful. I had no idea until my wife told me probably two years ago. <laughs> I was like, I smell like I was outdoors. I smell like I was camping. You know, this is like a masculine smell. And she's like, no. They would, buy, they would sell this at Yankee Candle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no, it just stinks. It's a really bad smell. <laughs> Dude, it reeks. And also you're ripping cigs and fucking, you know, shotgunning beers. So you just, it was, it was bad. You dude. just had a stale crust. Yeah. Pretty much covering your body. Right, because I could, yeah, I could go take a shower, but then I'm going to miss, you and know, then you gotta, someone then you, pants someone else. Yeah, then you look at the person in the eye next to you, and you're like, can I put the armrest down? And they're like, this guy. Well, also, I take the window seat, and I go to bed immediately. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm out on the plane before it takes off. Really? So anything that I might be guilty of, I'm unconscious. Yeah, bring it up with me, like, afterwards. Yeah. It's a good move. But yeah, I mean, flying is so much easier than driving. Because <laughs> I used to, like... I would, like, drive to fucking Portland for two shows and then come back. Like, Portland, Oregon. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. Portland, you know? Maine. No, Portland, Maine is beautiful, though. Portland, Maine is awesome. I love it. Yeah. After, I had I a summer fling, and we went up to Portland, Maine, and then um, she decided after that that it wasn't a thing anymore. Yeah, Portland's heartbreak city, man. Well, I think I just, like, I came out of, we were with her parents, and we went to, like, this beer festival, mm-hmm. and they were selling lobster rolls. So yeah. I'm drinking IPA, dark lager all day. Yeah. Take the lobster roll. I'm, like, I come out of the porta potty with my shirt off, because yeah. I just had sweat so much from, like, diarrheaing <laughs> so hard. And she's like, you okay? I'm like... Tell your dad we gotta go. It's so bad when you gotta have your uh, romantic fling. Yeah. Ask their parents for permission to leave. Yeah, I'm like he's he's really tired. I'm like we gotta get out of here. You learn from that though. Do you I miss hope. her? Do you no. think about her? <laughs> Do you love her? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's where that's the fucking marrow of this conversation. No, nah, you know what? I got my hopes up too much. That was what was cool about being on the road when I was younger and like not making any money is that. 
you would have like these very intense three-day romances with with women um and just like cook breakfast and just like be married for three days just like this intimacy and then you wouldn't see them for another year you know and then you come home maybe they have a boyfriend now like but you always like you had these very intense, like very hot, burning fires with people. But you and you always thought to yourself, like, oh, what if I stayed in Tuskegee? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like I could live in Ann Arbor. You know, <laughs> this isn't that bad. Something we're right near a lake. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> Sam, your book, Running the Light, it is absolutely fantastic. I read it in about two days, and I'm saying this in the microphone so people go out and buy it. I'm being very clear right now. Go out and buy it. Don't buy it on Amazon, you corporatist. Fuck. Um, buy it from his website. Yeah, buy it from my website, samtalent.com. Samtalent.com. Your character, Billy Ray Schaefer, almost cannot quit the degeneracy of life on the road. Was there a moment that you felt that the road was sucking you in? Oh, yeah. There's countless moments where you just think you're like... it's always. I always have it when I get my wake up hungover. Because I'll get to a place, you know, you get to Chattanooga on Wednesday, and you get to see all your friends who you haven't seen and you do a show and everyone thinks, you know, if you, hopefully if it goes well, everyone thinks you're great. And they want to they want to have that night with you that they only get to have one night of the year. And then the next night you go to Birmingham, Alabama, and those people who you genuinely love want to have that night with you that they only get to have one night a year. And then by the time you roll into Atlanta on Friday and Saturday for the weekend, you have two daunting nights of having that night with these people who you were inspired by and make you laugh and you like. You know, they have a, they're in your heart. Just because you don't see someone very often doesn't mean that you don't make, like, very star-studded memories. So it's just, like, the drinking. Like, I'll wake up and be like, Jesus Christ, like, I can't leave this house. But also, I'm a guest here, and they have to have, their kids are going to school. So I got to be out of here. It's 9 a.m. Now I have 10 hours to kill before my gig. Yeah. You know, so it's like, the boozing is rough. Luckily, I'm not into drugs, like... If I was like a Coke guy or a pill guy, like I'll eat a pill if I have a long flight, you know, and sleep. Yeah. That's nothing weird. But when it's 3.30 in Ames, Iowa, and someone's cracking open the second bottle of Rock Gut Whiskey, that's a that's a moment of clarity where you're like, fuck, like we just went for it. We just, like, why are we going to keep going for it now? You know, like nothing good's going to happen. You know, they say nothing good happens after midnight. That's not been my experience. Nothing, nothing good happens, happens after 3.30. Oh, really? Yeah, because, you know, at 2 o'clock, maybe the pizza gets there. Ah, you know? yeah, Like point. that's when people, right around 1.30, people are like, let's get something to eat. You eat, maybe you smoke a little bit of weed, and then you're just like sitting there watching YouTube videos in someone's living room, and their baby's crying in the next room. <laughs> and you're like, good God, this is dark, you know? <laughs> this is dark. Whenever you have those like very stark moments of realization where you're like, you're in the oh, depths. this is actually very bleak. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Dude, I totally get that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, you've ever been to Burlington, Vermont? Yeah, you've been to Burlington. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We had a buddy who was on the freestyle ski team there. Mm-hmm. That's where I got my um, my first, my second tattoo on my thigh. Yeah. It was a wolf with three legs. That's I fun. met some guy on the beach. I thought he was fucking Picasso. Yeah. <laughs> you had a stranger do your tattoo? I had a complete stranger do my tattoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's that moment where it's like three in the morning. My buddy Mitch is putting on his skis at the top of the staircase. Yeah. And like we had just taken like three chops out of like the bong. And I'm like watching this happen. I'm like, he's going to hurt himself. Yeah. I'm I'm going to hurt myself watching this. Right. I'm like my, my leg is bleeding. I'm but like, like also what you're describing there like does seem like good old fashioned fun. It is fun. You but know? like when it's the third day. You're yeah. Right, when it's the third day. Yeah. And especially when you then have the tattoo and you have to go back to your dad and like be like, hey, yeah, got a tattoo. And he's like, what is it? He's like, it's a wolf. And he's like, why has it got three legs? <laughs> <laughs> anytime anyone's ever chopping up a pill. Yeah. Anytime ever anyone has their credit card out and they have a lighter on top of it, that's when I'm like, this is not something I want to be engaged with. you know. Right. And then when they do it and they offer you one and you're like, no, no, no. They think you're judging them and the whole tide turns because now they're on drugs and you're the guy who didn't do drugs with them, even though they were trying to be nice and like hospitable. Right, right, right. That's the idea of generosity. So, like, I don't know, man. Just the boozing is for sure the worst part of my experience on the road. So, in one of Billy Ray's gigs, he performs for uh, Shriners Club, right? Having bachelorette party. Is that story derived from any wild bachelorette parties that you've done? 
Uh, well, it's a bachelor party. Bachelor party. I mean, I've done though that room. Like I've done like the the room in the back of the golf course where it smells like cigars, and it's like definitely whites only, but no one says that. Right. You know, right, like right. I've been in those situations where you're with the upper crust, people who would not spit on you if you were on fire. But that night, you're one of the boys. You know what I mean? But that show is more. I got hired a couple times by this guy at DU's dad, who I knew. And he would have me come in and roast all of his business associates. That's unbelievable. And he would, like, give me the details. And I'd go in there and be like, you know, well, hey, Fred, you know, we all know you're fucking your secretary. secretary. <laughs> and, like, I, you know, I'd phrase it like a joke. But then everyone's just like, oh, God, you know. So it's like anytime you're performing as, like, literally a hired monkey is not fun, you know. Yeah. Like, I like the check. The money, For sure. The check cashes, but you don't feel like you were able to really express yourself. Or it's more so you felt like they were in there. Like, anybody could have done this. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the part that sucks. Yeah, like, the same way they, like, hired a, a caterer. That's how much thought was put into this. Like, you, you know, we have a bartender over there serving doers. And then we have uh, a guy over here, you know, fucking hand-rolling cigars. Yeah. And you're the exact same thing. You're 20 minutes of us getting off, you know. But also, I like doing the job. Like, I think it's a job. A lot of people think it's like a sacred art. And it's like, no. no. Like, you're going to be $1,500 to make fun of rich people for 20 minutes. Like, for sure. game, set, match. For sure. Every time. All about it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man. I mean... Just anytime men with money are together trying to laugh, they don't have a good senses of humor. This book captured me for two days. I felt the honesty and like the pain in this guy's story for like each paragraph. And I'm not trying to like glamp over it, but it was fucking raw, dude. Thanks, man. It was really raw. Did you have moments writing it when you were like, this shit rips? Like, <laughs> I'm I'm crushing it right now. Yeah, for sure. There's a passage in there where, you know, after that. Uh, ill-fated evening where he may or may not have left his wallet and he's leaving in the morning mm. after he drinks the gin out of the fridge right. and he's walking to the drive-in. There's a paragraph there describing the drive-in. The custard. I don't remember if there was custard. Was it his, oh, it was the Frito pie that his wife liked? No, no, that was in Colorado Springs. This is when he goes, remember when he goes to that drive-in and it's like there's that girl in the glass room and he's like, you need to get out of there or else you're going to die in there. Yes. Okay, yes. so when he first, when he shows up there, I remember writing that and then being like, all right, you know, I'm not wasting my time. I'm absolutely on fire. Because I definitely write like a stonemason. Like, I'm like word by word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. So like there's, I, there's a lot of care. That's, I mean, everything is pretty overanalyzed. Do you, yeah. go, do you go paper first or just straight laptop? Oh, straight laptop. Oh, really? Yeah, I could never imagine writing by hand. Because every word I'm... You know, you write it down, and then you're not supposed to revise until you're done. But every day I would start by, like, for two hours of looking over the last pages and trying to punch them up, you know? Right. So then by the time you're done, you kind of have it, like, edited and polished a little bit. So then you can go through and be a little more minute. But, when did yeah. you When did you know, like, so when you would have, you'd finish days writing, did you always quit when you knew you had more to write? Or you knew you had more to the story to go? Like, was there ever a time when you're like, I'm just going to go until my brain can't think of where the this next part of the story goes? That's how exactly how it went every day. Because I would write, like, six to eight hours every day. Because that's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not educated in writing. So, like, I have to be in front of the device in order to create what comes out of the device, you know? So, like, I, didn't, I never had any kind of plan for what was going to happen in that book. Like, I remember figuring out that he had two sons and being like, well, that makes sense, you know. Mm. Or, like, figuring out, like, his daughter was a, or his, his wife was a nurse and being like, okay, that makes sense, you know. Just, there's so many just little moments where you're like, okay, this guy would do this and he would be guilty of this and he probably would think this way. But, yeah, man, it was fun. It was very organic. I, I can't get over just how fucking good it was, man, dude. Thanks, I mean, man. I'm a guy, I'm not a huge fiction guy. Like, mm -hmm. mostly I'm doing, like, old historical stuff. I felt like I could also smell him through the book. Yeah. Did you do that on purpose? Um, I do think he reeks of cigarettes, which is a rough one. I, he You're kinda, smoking in a car all day? Yeah, like Flamunga cheese? Yeah, for sure. There's probably some... Uh, Very. I don't think I ever read a sentence where it was like, then Billy Ray hopped in the shower. No, yeah, he only showers once in the book, and then he, and he jerks off when he's in the shower, of course. <laughs> and then there was another time where he bathes himself in the river. 
And that was a tough thing about writing a book is you're like, how much of this minute, like, daily life do I have to include to make this a fully realized person? Mm-hmm. So, like, you can't... Because you, know, you always think, like, will the reader follow me to the next paragraph? Or will he say, like, well, what, when he went from the, uh, the drive-through stand, what happens then? Yeah. That scene where he goes back in and just beats the fuck out of that guy. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, because, like, that's the thing is I was writing this book to be, like, a literary novel. Like, I love literature. And I wanted the prose to really sing off the page, but also there's a bunch of great literary books where people get in fistfights and like have strange liaisons and like do bad drugs. And also I was kind of conscious of like the people who are going to buy this book, the first round at least, are people who like my comedy and they're not like big readers. Mm-hmm. So like, of course, I'm going to have a little bit of violence because violence is interesting. Mm-hmm. That's probably the only like... Well, you traffic in grit and grime. I do. Yeah, I think that's fair. You do. Yeah. So you... You're a guy who's seasoned. Yeah, I love uh, I love people at their lowest points, you know? Because that's where you kind of see, like, the real humanity. Yeah, exactly. I don't like when people are pretending. I like when everything's been washed away, and now they don't have... They, don't, they can't afford to have a veneer now. You mm-hmm. know, like, two weeks ago after I... Because I got COVID a while ago, I still have the antibodies, so I went to a bar in Lyman, Colorado, when my wife had to go to Omaha for a night, and just, like, drank with people in Lyman. Because I was desperate for that feeling of doing a one-nighter in Rock Springs, Wyoming, or, uh, yeah. you know, a fucking going to Raton, New Mexico, and entertaining, you know, like doing the shows this guy did. I missed right. that. So I went and had that and slept in a motel across the street and woke up near dead. But it was it was very... I needed to do that. Like, some people think a vacation is going and hiking somewhere, and I'm like, no, I want to, like, go hear people try not to use racial slurs. <laughs> You know, I want to hear people like be restrained because I'm a stranger and then I want them to drink so much that then that all disappears. And all of a sudden they're talking about how like, you know, yeah, the Jews uh, fucking stole the election from Trump. You know, (laughs) I want to hear that wild shit that is inside of people that is ugly and is gross, but is like also interesting because like hearing people say all the same shit online. Like I, I, you know, I think I think like correctly, you know, like I value, uh, all people of all creeds and colors and, you know, identities and all that shit. Like, I think everyone has a right to live free and safe. You don't need to clarify. We, we, listen, no one... No, you know what I mean, though? <laughs> but, like, hearing that repeated online it, yeah, over right. and over and over again, it's like, why do you have to say this? You, people should think this way. Right. You, well, you also ask yourself, what else is there? Like, are, are like, is there any other alternative thoughts? Like, are there any other things where it's like, does someone have just, like, a crazy take on, like, beef jerky and dumb shit? Like, you know, just dumb shit. Right, like I don't like I don't like black and white. No, you know, no extremes. Yeah, I just think that like life is lived in the gray. I think so. As trite as that might sound, like I like people being complex. You're such a veteran in so many aspects, not particularly like in the legal sense, but still stolen valor, stolen valor. Yeah. What's your go-to vet move? Not even like comedy, whatever. Like, what is your vet? What is the number one vet move? I guess you need to uh, explain more what you mean by vet. Like, if you see uh, someone, they pack a dip, and then they open up the can with their thumb to use it as a spitter, that's a vet move. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, interesting. Such a broad question. It's tough. I know. Uh, I told you, man. We're going deep. No, I'm glad. I like when... Oh, it's so tough. There's so many... Little nuanced things that people do. This is such a great question. I don't want to fucking blow it. <laughs> Fuck. I like... Uh... Oh, you know what I like, man? I like a guy smoking in a pool. <laughs> I like a guy in who knows to keep his fingers dry when he's swimming. Because I love to smoke cigarettes while I'm in a pool. Or in the ocean. Oh. I love to see a guy with a cig over his head. And he has the lighter somewhere. Like, he had enough foresight to have keep the lighter dry. Or the lighter's in the same hand. Lighter's in the same hand. Maybe he's got, like, a waterproof uh, pocket on his swim trunks. Right. And he gets out there and he times the wave so that he can have this cigarette that he's been keeping, maybe in the brim of his hat or behind his ear, that he can time the light with that wave where you got to bounce so it doesn't, like, you know, get your face. He's one of these. I love that move, dude. <laughs> That's a bad I move. I love a guy who's... I Like, Brent Gill, when we went to Florida earlier this year... Or last year, him fishing while smoking a joint and drinking a beer. It's like that guy has it figured out. You know what I mean? Right. Like casting, 
with one hand while he has the beer in one hand and the joint perched perfectly out of his mouth. I also really respect when someone can roll a joint. I think that shows a lot about someone's life history Absolutely. is if they can actually roll a decent joint. I can roll a good joint. I think that's a very, very simple, classy vet move is rolling a joint. You can, Everyone can you go will, one hand? You ever seen, well, like you were in Europe for a little while. My mom can one hand. I can't do that. You can't. We were in Europe with uh, Kobos and them, right? Doing comedy. We we yeah, I was out there with uh, Nathan Lund, Chris Charpentier, and Bobby Crane. Oh, right. and Kobos Definitely. happened to be there oh. and glommed on. I hear no, that, Kobos. No, you Kobos, freeloader. Kobos and Kel came over, and it was so cool because he fucking killed that Paris show. Dude, he's the man. It was cool to watch Kobos because I I think of him as a little fucking stinky spud who <laughs> stinky. worked at Comedy Works, you know, and somehow landed Kel, who's one of the coolest women ever to live. Right. Um. So no, like I know he's funny, but to see someone that. You've watched start comedy really get a hold of a crowd that does not speak English as a first language. I was really like proud of Kobos over there. It ruled, man. He fucking He's, he went first because they was like because we were like, hey, can you put our buddy on who happens to be here? And they were like, sure, I guess. And he fucking killed, dude. It was sick, dude. dude he's the man. Yeah. We we uh I carpool him to our our roller hockey games every nice. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. I'm always like, listen, I'm gonna play ABBA until we get there. <laughs> I'm you like, know, don't break tradition. It's like we have, and he's like, we haven't won a game. <laughs> <laughs> you know who's full of great vet moves? Brett Hiker. Brett Hiker. Brett oh, Hiker yeah. is the best version of a man I think that I know. <laughs> he knows every cool move. He travels around with a pocket full of Dove jerky. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, he can like open a beer with anything. Really cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> Does it piss you off when you order a burger at a restaurant? And the bun is opened up, and the condiments are on one side, and then the burgers on the other bun. Does that piss you off? You want a you want it presented sealed. I want it sealed. You want the lid on top. I like it sealed. So I want it sealed because I want the cheese to have become melted and embedded in the top bun. And I don't like Thank a you. burger that is overdressed. Like I think you should have sliced onion. Maybe a tomato, maybe a slice of iceberg lettuce. I think that's all you're really allowed on a burger. If you get like a chili burger with a fucking fried egg and bacon, yeah, like you're yeah. not eating a burger. You're over- well, it's like, when did we go from the backyard version of a burger right. to this, you know, opened it up? Like, because I always feel like dirt. Like, I feel like a loser picking the stuff off the top of the bun. Yeah. Because they're like, well, you don't like that? And it's mm-hmm. like, now I feel like such a, a, a prissy bitch. Sure. No, and I think that that they're setting you up for a fail as well. And also, like, when I'm thinking about the ideal of a burger, it's that, like you said, it's like, uh, you know, it's smushed. The cheese, the American cheese is melted into the burger. And then you have to pull it apart to add mayonnaise and mustard. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't think it pisses me off, but I don't well, like if I'm ordering a, I'm at a place where you can order a burger that has a million different things on it. You can probably also get enchiladas or something. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Good point. I just I don't know why people can't finish what they started. You know what I'm saying? These yeah. On the kit, just put it on top. And also, it just speaks to American it gluttony. Speaks, yeah, it does. It gets me kind of. It's just like there's a perfect version of this thing. You don't have to fucking ruin it with excess. Right. You dressed up as Bill Cosby for the Sticker Treat Show this year. What experiences did you draw on to play that role? It's <laughs> very funny, brother. <laughs> Hilarious question. <laughs> Uh, so in sixth grade, Night of the Notables, which was a thing, I don't know if you guys had that in the East Coast, you pick a famous person in history, and then you have to dress up as them, and you have to write a speech and perform as them in front of your class. It's like the first thing you do that's public speaking. It's not theatrical, but it is theatrical, and it forces everyone to be in a position where you have to talk and do history. And I was Cosby. I remember I got Charlie Chaplin, my buddy Jordan Berry got Cosby, and we switched. Because I could kind of do a voice like Cosby. You had a good Cosby voice. Thank you. And then I remember on the way to Night of the Notables to perform that evening, there was a very heated conversation about whether or not I should do blackface. Because <laughs> it was like innocent. Like, I, you know, it was like, well, this is going to help tell the story even better. And my dad being like, well, you know, it's he's a kid, you know, there's no hate in his heart. Yeah. And my mom being like, who's from Cleveland? Like, no, there's no, there's no way. <laughs> That my son is going to do blackface in front of his entire class and their parents. And I didn't, but I did win best speech. I crushed as Cosby. And uh, I drew on that experience, you know. Good. Very funny question. Good. I like, I like what you did there. 
if you were in hell, who would be the top three? Who would be your top three friends? Who would you hang out with? So I feel like if I was in hell, I wouldn't have anyone that I enjoyed the company of. I feel like hell would be so specialized. Like if there is an eternity and an afterlife and there is some kind of conscious uh, entity that's trying to mold your worst existence. Because like hell is like you know, yeah, the opposite of joy. I just kind of think of it as like um, like – you know, like a waiting room. and You, you think kinda... you'd be down there with like John Wayne and like, you know. Yeah, like. Son of Sam. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. I think we'd all just be kind of hanging out like, they don't need like, just be like, oh, they're out of hard candy. Right. You know. Yeah, like the coffee's never warm. Yeah. And I'm like, does anyone is... like Motor Trend? It's from 2006. Yeah. <laughs> Motor Trend. <laughs> like, that's what I imagine. I picture that in my head. <laughs> Motor Trend would be the only reading material yeah. in my version of hell. Yeah. I fucking hate cars. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So funny. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be pedantic. So I think if I was in hell, who would I enjoy the company of? I would enjoy the company of John F. Kennedy. Um, I would enjoy the company. That's a shocking take. Well, he's Catholic. So he's in hell. Yeah, I know. He, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, if I yeah, have yeah. to hang out with anyone, I want to know about the guy who fucking yeah, who ate, it. ate out Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, probably Tommy Lasorda. Okay. He's dead, right? Yeah, he's he just died. He just died, right? Yeah, I'd like to hear some stories from him, and I'd like to be with Sinatra. Yeah, know? I think. Oh man, I never thought of Sinatra. He's yeah. kind of the go-to, right? I think so. Sinatra or um, Sammy Davis. Sammy well, see, Davis. that's the thing, though. Sammy Davis A was he was Jewish. So he wouldn't oh. be in hell. Sammy Davis was a black Jew. Yeah, that was wow. that was his big thing. Is he became Jewish? That's great. And also, like, I feel like most black people have such a tough time on Earth that they're paying a penance up here. Yeah, they're. Kind so of I don't really in. think like I was like Jimi Hendrix would have been cool, or like uh, you know the guy in Bad Brains who died. But I really feel like hopefully if there is a God, he'll be like, look, this was pretty tough, <laughs> you know. Like, just because MLK Jr. cheated on his wife, I don't think he has to go to no, hell. No, he definitely doesn't go to right? hell. Right? Well, that's why I think I, I think about heaven all the time. I'm like, dude, I don't want to go to heaven. Because it's like, I, I just also picture heaven, like, in the same respect where it's like, it's like a big, you know, it's a vacation, right? Yeah. But then, like, all the people you want to talk to, there's, like, a three-month wait to go, like, hang out with them. Sure, You know, yeah. like, Prince mm-hmm. or, like, MLK. Right. Those guys are all, you got to, like, wait your turn to go hang out with those dudes. Meanwhile, like, you're hanging out with all these fucking, you know, fat white people who did nothing with their lives and right. just got in because, you know, they didn't uh, fucking blow any red lights. Right. Very that, milk toast and boring. Very milk toast and boring. Also, I don't think that in Prince's version of Heaven... He would ever have to interact with me. That's a good point. You know what I mean? Like he's in heaven. This is his epitome of. Uh, he was in heaven while he was down here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, why would he? How in Prince's version of heaven is there a date book where I'm slotted in for a half hour? <laughs> could you, could like you that see, sucks. Could you see him just someone being like, Prince? It's, I've been waiting so long. I'm Craig from Cincinnati. He just yeah. goes. Hi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm in I'm, Prince, I'm in heaven. <laughs> like, why do I have to deal with you, Craig? This sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't think that I'd get to meet anyone cool in heaven. <laughs> Unless we were on, like, the same, like, pickup basketball team or something. Why don't they just keep the McRib on the menu? Um, I don't know. Is it a supply chain issue, or is it just the fact that people wouldn't buy it all the time? I think with that kind of thing, you have to make a big deal so that people will give a shit about it. Yeah, but people, like, lose their minds about it. Because just... it's only available once every eight years. That's a good point. You know what okay. I mean? That, that wasn't as good of a question as I thought it'd be. No. And also, I didn't, you know, fucking riff with you. I just told you the truth. Yeah, you, it's good. We're trying to get to the truth. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> you ever, um, have you ever farted on someone just to prove a point? Oh, I farted on my wife's head uh, New Year's Eve. <laughs> farting people all the time. Farting people all the time. Love farting on people. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. There's no. My, my dad and I used to play the fart game with my sister, where we get a fart on her, and then if she farted on us, she lost. Yeah, I, my sis, my wife was outside. We were all hanging out out back during New Year's Eve, and she was, she was telling a boring story. God bless her. She's she's uh, the best thing that ever happened to me. But sometimes she'll tell a story about the hospital where you don't know all the acronyms she's using yeah. and why we should give a shit. And she like I would like made fun of her, and she told me like, oh, you know, shut up, let me talk, and then she just, <laughs> just blasted on the back just of her head. Off. Yeah. And she couldn't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't be furious at me because her husband farted on her head. Like right, that's, right, right. you know, it's a misuse of trust. <laughs> that's a breach. But also everyone was laughing so much, you know, and I'm doing the fucking wave behind her. And so she couldn't be mad because 
my brother-in-law and David Borey were like losing their mind. Yeah. We were all on mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't, you know. The restaurants, they put the X's right where you should be standing. This group of like five people was like, and I'm by myself because my friends are inside. Mm-hmm. They're coming up closer to me and they're not wearing masks. Okay. Dude, I let rip an absolute like beef stew like you read about. Yeah. And these people just went, oh, all right, then backed up back to their ex. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what we got to start doing when we're implementing the six feet rule. Yeah. Am I right? I'm like, I, cause I'll just, I'll sometimes, you ever fart on somebody and then it doesn't make a sound and then you got to be like, hey, I just farted on you. Yeah. Of course. Just to prove a point. All right. Every every iteration of farting on someone I've experienced. Where the one where you're trying to sneak up on them and just lay a little egg. And then it's like, you know, the Mighty Mighty Boston's horn section is inside <laughs> of your ass. And I've had the one where you're trying to really, like, make a show of it. And then you just kind of, like, accidentally diarrhea. <laughs> and no one knows. But now you have diarrhea and you have to, like, go to the bathroom and clean up. <laughs> yeah, I love farting on people. Um, career in politics. What about it? Do I consider it? Just in general. Do you? What do you think about it? Do you want to have one? No. What I want to do is I want my wife to keep excelling as a doctor and get to the point where I get to puppeteer some kind of run for her. Ah. I've told her this. I'm like, I want you to become like a senator, or, you know, run for mayor, that kind of thing. And then I got to be the first gentleman and just kind of like chill gentleman. and like, you know. Well, I've been – I just made a TikTok about uh, that Doug uh, – the first, the first second gentleman, yeah, Doug. Yeah. Uh-huh. Dude, I'm all about that guy. He inspires me. Yeah, you can you can really succeed as a stay at home husband. Right. No, I like uh, I like I mean I don't care for his wife's politics, but but the, that guy's just he's probably living like living life. I have all these scenarios in my head where like they're at the kitchen table, yeah, they're eating dinner, and she she's like telling him something. He's like, Hey, I locked up a bunch of minorities today. Yeah, he's like, Oh, really? Well. I uh, I had to wait like six hours for the TiVo guy, so yeah, I, I guess uh, we both had pretty stressful days. Huh? And that's tell me about this little project, Iran <laughs> Nuclear, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's my life around here, because my wife, you know, I package books and sell them, and that's you know, I'm luckily I'm very comfortable right now due to the success of the book. And my wife will come home and be like, you know. <laughs> We had to, like, fucking cut a baby's head off because it swallowed another baby. Like, something insane, Yeah, you something know? insane. Just the worst news you can get. And she'll be like, what do you do? And it's like, oh, you know, Gordy ate a crayon. <laughs> that was my day. I was just watching the dog, uh, making sure he didn't, you know, throw I f- up. Uh, I found $2 and quarters in the couch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, very minute things that I cannot wait to tell her about. And then she'll come home and be like... So, you know, I don't, I don't know what, how much I can tell about what no, she doesn't work. work but it, it'll be the most horrifying shit. Just all the different my, small ways that the human body can fail you. That she experiences all of them. Yeah, exactly. Well, she watches them anyway. She, I, I'd imagine if she experienced all of them, that'd be pretty painful. That'd be rough. You'd yeah. have, yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd have a lot more paper towels. Also, I, I could talk about it. Yeah, you could talk. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have to worry about HIPAA or whatever. <laughs> okay, are you an advocate for body positivity? Yeah, but I think that uh, people should be healthy. Okay. You know? This isn't a serious question. I'm just okay. That was kind of more of a dig at you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, uh, I definitely take my shirt off at the pool. You know, yeah. we can't all be like you. Listen. All right. I'm working out in the park all day. Yeah, I'm in there in the iron gym, fucking tossing lead around. Are you embarrassing some steel in there? Yeah, dude. I got it all set up. <laughs> it's crazy. I've been lifting weights for three weeks now. And I've never felt better about myself. Oh, dude. My, it's pretty sick. My dad um, sent me on my work email uh, just a picture of a, of a squat rack. Yeah. And he goes, thinking about buying this. Yeah. What do you think? And I'm like, you don't squat, dude. Yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah? You like email? This is all on my work email. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Text in the group chat two days later, family group chat. It's set up in the basement. Awesome. And he goes, he just goes... <laughs> He goes, you and Jake are in big trouble, my little brother. Yeah. He goes, just down here, hashtag getting better. <laughs> <laughs> that rules, man. Dude, he's out of his mind. Yeah. He's a fucking, he's a wild dude. I mean, you had a dad who was like a fucking awesome time. He edited your book. That's incredible. My dad did do the uh, the copy editing of the book, yeah. And Emily, you know, my wife took a pass at it too. But my dad's a reader, so. He's a reader. My wife doesn't like fiction. Right. She doesn't read books. You know, she's too busy to read books. Yeah, she's doing her own thing. She's actually crushing. She's yeah. crushing life. But my dad did take a red pen to it and That's a help cool out. Move. Yeah, that's good. Well, my dad um, gives me like tattoo inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes he'll just, dude. 
he's come home sometimes, me and my brother working out in the basement, which is by, like, Hardo, but um, he comes down, and he's just like, boys, check it out. This is, like, I'm a sophomore in college. I probably, sorry if you're listening, Dad. But uh, he's got a massive Polynesian turtle on his back. Oh, weird. Yeah, and I'm like, what is that for? And he goes, you like it? It means family. And I'm like, in Polynesian? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we're Irish. <laughs> He got all mad at me. He's like, oh, whatever, dude. That rules. <laughs> I'd like to work out with your dad one day. Dude, he pumps iron down there. He's big on the bike. Well, he'll also just, like, send us um, the the Strava app, like, where you run. Mm-hmm. And he'll just send it to me and my brother and go and just say, hashtag getting better. Yeah. Getting better. Good for him. And I'm like, better from what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're doing okay already, yeah, you're dad. doing fine. I've been working out with this guy named Chris Pierce, who's a bodybuilder. He does Death Metal Dicks, which is a great podcast. He's in Arkansas, and we'll FaceTime workout. And he's, you know, Just squatting 350 pounds, and I'm in there working on my form with, like, two 25-pound plates on the side. And it's it's so good to feel – I don't know how to put it. It's good to be humbled, you know? Right. Like, the reason I literally bought weights is because I was wrestling with Chris Pierce in a swimming pool, like, two months ago – and he was absolutely manhandling me. We're like the same size, but he has like that, like, you know, it feels like a Cooper Smith built his stomach, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's, it protrudes, but it's also just like rock hard. Like he's got a, he's got like a cast iron barrel. Yeah, like fireman gut. Yeah, you like know? some people, some people you see, like, you know, they got a barrel barrel. Like yeah. This guy's got, yeah, you're right, fireman gut. He That's kept, a good description. He kept telling me to touch it, you know? <laughs> and he literally, like, another man, like, made me feel incapable. <laughs> of defending myself against him and the next day I bought a squat rack and like all that shit you know good stuff man yeah well I think it's also gonna be very funny if I end up buff it'd be hilarious like I can't do this to get better for me I do need to do it so that the next time I see someone like I want I just think it's you hilarious. want shock and awe I do man it's yeah. just so funny for me to come out of this buff <laughs> like that, <laughs> That's a good bit to me. That would be you funny. know, Yeah. You're on stage just in a sleeveless shirt. like Never. No. I can't imagine being sleeveless. But that would be the bit. I hate that's, being Yeah, sleeveless. but that's the bit, though. I you know. You come out and you're just like, just Ugh. absolutely like boulders for shoulders. Just cable guy in it? Yeah, cable guy. I hate anyone seeing my armpit hair. I don't know what it is. I don't have a lot of body shame, but I hate if anyone can see my pit hair. I don't even like saying pit hair. <laughs> Why not just shave it? Oh, God, it creeps me out. No, <laughs> that's so gross. The armpit is like my least favorite. I hate, I'm literally cringing saying the word armpit aloud. I hate it. Why? What is it? I don't know, and I don't want to talk about it. Okay, we <laughs> I don't know. But like, whenever, <laughs> I, that like when I said pit hair, ah, I'm still hating it. I hate it, dude. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Ew, it's so gross. <laughs> like, I know you got it. I got it under there. Maybe you don't. That's even weirder. No, ah, I don't like thinking about <laughs> what might lie beneath this. Oh, God. Anyway, move along. <laughs> I think we struck a nerve. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm back. All right. All right, I'm going to probably wrap it up on this. Last question, Sam. Okay. For anyone who's, uh, you know, in their mid-20s. All right, camera just turned off. Okay. For anyone who's in their mid-20s, what's the best advice you can give to them? If you're in your mid-20s? Or just if you're, 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 if you're a young person. If you're a young person in your 20s and you want to go out and explore, a little piece of advice you can impart. What's a nugget? Be, a nugget? Be a trade being comfortable for being excited. I think that a lot of people don't do a lot of stuff because they don't think that they can be uncomfortable, you know? Like if you have to sleep on the floor because it's $100 a month, do that so then you can not have to work 40 hours a week. Like uh if you're young, fucking travel, you know? Uh meet people just do all the shit that you can't do once you have responsibilities you have no idea how lucky you are when you're that age because you're worried about things you've been taught to worry about and then you get older and you realize none of that shit actually matters so like i just think that uh if you can be okay with discomfort and not being secure you can live a big wide open life that's like gonna be worth more to you than the house you might buy when you're 28 with the money you earned working. Mm-hmm. You know, those memories are going to keep you a lot warmer when you're older than 
you know, stock options or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Like, if you're fucking trading your life working for someone else's benefit is not something I have any interest in. And I've been very uh, financially insecure. I've been hungry. I've been afraid. Just straight up, like, you know. Scared for your own safety. Just not even that. Just, like, scared. Like, what am I going to do? I have $20, and I'm not going to get any more money until Friday when I'm getting $40 for featuring or whatever it may be. Like, figuring out that ingenuity that you learn when you're totally free and liberated and not trading the fucking hours of your life to benefit someone else's pocketbook. Like, I just think that people really need to take uh, the power back. You know what I mean? And, like, just be unsecure, you know? Fuck yeah. All right. That wraps it up for Transplants. Santown, you've been an absolute treat. Thanks, man. This was really a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> this was great. <laughs> you do a lot of podcasts, and you're like, oh, good. What's this same question? But no, great yeah, question, And this man. is like Knock my sixth. <laughs> you crushed it, man. Very right. good stuff. I appreciate it. I'm going to wrap it up right about...